right, all right. Welcome to a special edition of the Cavish Ships Podcast, produced in conjunction with the Service Navy Association's annual symposium. This special edition is sponsored in part by Huntington Ingalls Industries. HII is the largest producer of unmanned undersea vehicles, making transoceanic missions possible. HII, delivering hard stuff done right. And by GE Marine, a GE aerospace company, offering unparalleled power and propulsion for ships from the biggest combatants to the smallest, fastest patrol boats. GE's propulsion solutions are ready for the next generation of sea power. Learn more at geaerospace.com slash marine. All right, we're back at Service Navy Association. Right now, we're going to talk with Chris Minster. He's the, he's the director of small combatant programs for Lockheed Martin. Welcome to the podcast, Chris. Chris, thank you. Uh, pleasure to be here and uh, looking forward to uh, conversation today. As are we. So, Chris, uh, today's topic is really going to be the lethality upgrades for the Freedom Class littoral combat ships, which are built under contract of Lockheed Martin, the prime contractor for those ships. Um uh, of course, lethality upgrade has been an issue f- for that program pretty much as long as it's been out. Uh, you've had a plan to do this for a long time. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna get to that, but right now I just want to talk about the current status of this. So uh, there was sort of a pause as the uh, Congress was the Navy had been requesting to decommission a certain number of ships. Congress was responding to that, not not agreeing to all the all those plans. Everybody sort of had to hold and wait and see what what hath Congress wrought, <laughs> yeah. and um, now they have wrought something um, with the with the Authorization Act at the, at the end of the year. Now the Authorization Act, yes, the bill. So there's a 30 day period right now where the Navy has to finalize its plans, and then it comes out on the 28th or something. I think is the 27th, something like that, January 27th. Could just update us on the status of that, please. Oh, correct. So uh, I'll, I'll take us back a little bit. Actually, Lockheed Martin uh, competed for and won the lethality and survivability contract for both the Freedom and the Independence class ship. So uh, the Navy's driving towards combat lethality and combat system capability across all the platforms. Uh, but as you're right, recently uh, through the NDAA and the Navy's desire to decommission some of the ships, uh, the program has Uh, gone through a pause cycle. Um, The Navy is uh, waiting to determine which ships might be impacted by by the uh, decision to decommission some of the ships. Uh, Once we come through the 30-day period, then the Navy will understand uh, what ships are impacted, uh, which are not, and uh, that'll give us more uh, clarity on our, uh, you know, definitively scheduling the availabilities so that we can take the program of record changes and uh, get to the ships and start uh, upgrading the capability with uh, we've been working for for years. So looking forward to that decision here in the very near future. So as as Lockheed always does, you've got a lot of nice models on, on display. One of those models is of the lethality upgrade of the Freedom Class. Can you talk about some of the main features of that? Correct. Um, the lethality and survivability program, uh, one of the core components is going to be the combat management system. <clears throat> so on the Freedom class today, we have Combats 21, which is our combat management system. And, and think of Combats 21 as a uh, derived combat management system from our Aegis CSL. So the Surface Navy has invested a lot of money into the Aegis CSL, the common source library, and uh, we're able to take code written for the Aegis program 
and adapt it and use it for Combats 21 on the Freedom-class ships. Uh, the Navy, as part of lethality and survivability, has selected that combat system to go across all LCSs. So the Freedom-class ships will get Combats 21 in an upgraded configuration, and the Independence-class ships will get their combat system management replaced with Combats 21, so that we have commonality across all of the LCS ships and some commonality with the rest of the surface Navy fleet through the CSL. And then future upgrades that go into the CSL, those can be pulled down and derived and, and brought into the CMS for LCS as well. So that really is the core part of that. Uh, along with that, you need the consoles, the cabinets, the displays that support and run that combat management system. Those will be retrofitted onto the independence class and then, of course, any upgrades necessary for the Freedom class. So that is really the core of it. We are going to be integrating the Naval Strike Missile into the Combats 21 as uh, strike missiles are being uh, incorporated and included uh, as part of the lethality and survivability improvements for the, um, for the LCSs. So that's another big capability upgrade. Uh, we're bringing CWIP uh, light to the LCSs, so we're gonna and greatly- CWIP is, is the- The Surface Electronic Warfare Program, yes. So we're significantly going to advance the EW capability, right. passive ESM, if you electronic will. Electronic warfare. Right, electronic warfare for the LCSs. So CWIP light will bring a form factor that fits well onto an LCS and leverages the larger CWIP program for the Navy. So that's a big capability upgrade. We're going to a common gunfire control system uh, we will bring that in for, for both platforms. Uh, we're also going to implement NULCA. So NULCA is your, your decoy uh, system for the ships. Those will be replaced on both the Freedom and the Independence class. So those really make up the majority of the changes that come into phase one of the lethality and survivability program. Can you give a little history of uh, th this program? I mean, when, d just for, for folks that maybe aren't as familiar, did, did a good job of kind of running down what the um, what the individual capabilities are. But, you, you know, I think most people probably realize that when the ships came online, they brought um, some unique capabilities. The criticism was is that they maybe weren't uh, as, um, you know, lethal or survivable as other ships. Uh, that, that's pretty well documented. Um, but take us from sort of that criticism to now in terms of, you know, just a very brief history of, of this effort. Right. I, I think, you know, when we look at the LCS, those ships were going to have mission module capability and designed with modularity to, to have those different mission modules, surface warfare, anti-submarine warfare, and mine countermeasure warfare. So uh, as those mission modules were being developed and intended to be brought online concurrent with the LCS, uh, those programs experienced delays. And uh, a lot of those really didn't get kind of to the position the Navy needed in time as the ships were being built and being delivered. I would say the surface warfare mission package has probably been the most successful and one that we've used a lot on the Freedom class. It works very well with our stern ramp design, our ability to get an 11 millimeter, uh, I'm sorry, 11 meter rib uh, quickly on and off the ship. Uh, and so that's worked exceptionally well. But to your point, uh, there continued to be a, a lack of punch, a lack of capability. And as I described, two different ship classes, independence at Freedom, 
that had different combat management systems, some different systems, and the Navy's desire to drive towards commonality. I think all those things came together and drove the requirements to say, hey, we've, we've got to do some commonality. We need to add more lethality onto these ships as we realize we're kind of changing our uh, approach with mission modules. And, and so the program came to light and, and identified those requirements, electronic warfare, naval strike missiles, and a modern combat system you know, that is aligned with the surface Navy's Aegis CSL. Yeah, I mean, I, I think this is a great thing. I mean, just I'll give you my, my opinion. I, I won't ask you to, you know, you're in a tough spot with the customer. But I mean, I think it's a great, great thing as we um, put these ships in the Pacific, we put them in Fifth Fleet. Um, I think adding this uh, tooth um, to the uh, to these ships, not only I think makes them uh, more of a challenge for potential adversaries, um, but it helps them uh, become more integrated with the other Navy ships, both U.S. and uh, and partnerships that that they're going to work with. Um, you know, I think there's still very much a mission for the LCS, particularly in the Western Pacific. Um, and so hearing what you guys are doing, I, I think, you know, as somebody that's still an LCS proponent, uh, you, know, you know, I think it makes... Uh, those con ops a lot easier to create with this uh, added tooth. Yeah, uh, I, I agree. You know, obviously, uh, we see the LCS as uh, having exceptional capability, flexibility. The modular design allows you to do a lot with that platform. Uh, it's never going to be an Arleigh Burke destroyer, but we certainly can do things to make it more of a threat, uh, more of a platform that is supporting the overall fleet. And in the Pacific Theater, uh, lots of opportunity there to make the uh, uh, environment more complex for our for our adversary. So uh, certainly great opportunity. And, and phase one of lethality and survivability is really the first step. The Navy continues to evaluate other opportunities for lethality and survivability improvements. Uh, and so we're working with the Navy on those. Uh, we're looking at things like directed energy weapons. How can we bring that into the LCS platform? Uh, you know, we have Helios going on to USS Preble, a Lockheed Martin product. How do we maybe scale that and bring some type of capability? It's a, it's a small laser dazzler, right? Uh, right. Weapon, uh, not, not weapon, really dazzler. Uh, there is high energy, 75 kilowatt class, you know, yeah. uh, 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 laser for Helios, right, for, for the DDG. So how do we scale that? How do we bring that to LCS? And then other opportunities, how could we maybe bring electronic attack instead of electronic surveillance to the LCS, right? And we have some products in our portfolio we're looking at and how we might we scale those and adapt those for the LCS. So as we look at kind of the asymmetric warfare that's been happening the last year, we see things like drones presenting a real threat and a real capability really uh, affordably. How, how can we take on kind of those threats in the future? I think bringing things like directed energy or electronic attack really kind of start to drive some of those capabilities and make the LCS a more, uh, you know, valuable platform to the Navy overall. So there's been, there was a lot of reporting about the comments that both CNO and Admiral Cottle made about pushing, I'll, I'll be diplomatic, but pushing industry to deliver more capability quicker. Um, do you find that the Navy is receptive to the conversations that you're having, not only with things that are programs of record, but when you guys uh, look in your kit bag and look at other capabilities that you may have that may fit well, whether it's on the LCS or others, is the Navy receptive to that conversation um, or is it still a little bit, and this is a tough question for you, I, I know, <laughs> but um, 
talk a little bit about those conversations uh, in, in terms of, you know, are you able to offer up capabilities that may fit on, on, on these ships so that you're a, a partner um, in making them more of a challenge to the Chinese or some of our potential adversaries in Fifth Fleet? Right. Uh, absolutely. I mean, we, we do spend some time talking to the fleet and we get really good advocacy from the fleet because they see the need to have more more capability and and bringing more capability to 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 their ability to use that uh certainly as we work through the different parts of the navy where there are programs of record and people need budget and funding to implement programs it becomes challenging right you have to work the process of of getting your your capabilities and new ideas how do you get it into a program of record or platform how do you get it onto the platform and out to the fleet so it is a challenge uh and we continue to make sure we engage with with all levels of the navy to to drive uh innovation and new capabilities as possible opportunities for the platform so just as a status situation um is it you said program of record? Is this is this phase one already approved by the Navy? Correct. It is program of record uh, funded. And like I said, we're waiting to kind of schedule the availabilities uh, coming out of this thirty day review decision. Have you identified what ships there uh, it will start on, or is that still part of that thirty day? We review? have notional plans because we you know you, you can look at kind of the portfolio of LCSs and say these right. are less likely to be decommissioned than the others, right? You look at some of the earlier hulls, kind of. The earlier prototypes, maybe they're probably uh, more likely candidates than some of the later hauls. So uh, uh, certainly something that would drive how we might, you know, project and plan that. Work. Right. The 30 days presumes a lot of work has already been done on that. Yes. Well, thanks a lot. We've been talking to Chris Minster. He's the director of small combatant programs at Lockheed Martin's Rotary and Mission Systems Sector. Chris, thanks so much for being on the podcast. We really Chris, appreciate thank it. you for having me here.